and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I'm Andrew's younger daughter and on today's episode I'm delighted to be reading chapter 12 from my grandfather's book Around the Horn by Frank Downs. Chapter 12 includes Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra, Sergeant and Bolt. Tours to Belfast, Dublin and Isle of Man. I had no illusions about the physical and mental demands expected in an orchestral career. My close connection with the profession from an early age, together with the considerable experience I had already gained, had made sure of that, but I found the first few weeks in Liverpool hard going. I was extremely happy in the orchestra, one of the friendliest collections of colleagues one could have hoped for, and programmes were enterprising and stimulating. The super-efficiency of Sargent was impressive, and I remember two occasions particularly when his quick silver mind was in evidence. During a Sunday afternoon concert being broadcast from the Philharmonic Hall, he showed great presence of mind when in the Mozart double piano concerto, for which Cyril Smith and Phyllis Selick were the soloists, a string broke in Cyril's piano during the slow movement, causing embarrassing noises to emanate from the instrument. Conducting with one hand, he moved from the rostrum and with his free hand sorted out the offending string and wound it round the stick supporting the lid, thus ensuring the freedom of the notes that did play. Many musicians and listeners will know that Dr Sargent was quite brilliant at introducing and conducting concerts for children, and concerts in the Philharmonic Hall Liverpool were certainly no exception. He was very adept at fitting words to appropriate passages of music, for instance, How lovely the sea is, for the opening bars of the Hebrides overture, fitted perfectly. At the morning rehearsal of one such concert, he got at cross-purposes with our two trumpet players, and quite a fracas developed. Eventually, it simmered down, but surprisingly the trumpet players got the last word, a most unusual event when Sargent was on the rostrum. Came the afternoon, the hall was packed to the doors with attentive children, Sargent was at his most impressive, and we had all forgotten completely the morning tussle with our trumpet colleagues. We came to the last work in the programme, Handel's Water Music, the last movement of which was blatantly used recently to advertise the privatisation of water. Sergeant turned to face the children. Now, children, he said, I want you to focus your attention on the two gentlemen playing the trumpet. Deliberately emphasising gentlemen. Will you stand up, gentlemen? Self-consciously, they both stood up. Hold your trumpets aloft, he went on as they raised their trumpets for the children to see. He kept them standing for a few seconds before continuing. We are now going to play the last movement of Handel's water music. Then he began to sing the words in the inimitable sergeant voice. We are two trumpets, important trumpets, important trumpets. Then, placing his hand on heart... We think a lot of ourselves, we think a lot of ourselves. The words, of course, again fitted perfectly. 
Performing the last movement, there were distinct cursings and mutterings behind us, but there was little the important trumpets could do about it. Now the proud father of a baby daughter, Judith Ann, finding suitable accommodation in 1946 for my family proved a problem. And for a while I shared a house in Selborne Street, Liverpool with other colleagues and commuted to the Midlands on free days. It was some months later that I found a suitable flat for my family, but unfortunately the winter of 1946-47 to 47 was one of the worst winters on record, plus fuel shortages, frequent electricity cuts and food rationing. For some weeks, to save electricity, we rehearsed in the foyer of the Philharmonic Hall, which had just about adequate daylight through its front windows. I well remember Sir Adrian Bolt at several such rehearsals. He and the whole orchestra donned overcoats and mufflers. There was no heat. A journey across the Pennines to Huddersfield in blizzard conditions was a nightmare experience. Two coaches, one containing our guest conductor Enrique Jorda and soloist Clifford Curzon, skidded and sliced their way onwards for several hours. Jorda, a very highly strung Spaniard, sat in the seat in front of me and talked excitedly throughout, whilst Clifford Curzon seemed to suffer in silence. We arrived at Huddersfield Town Hall at 8.15pm. To our amazement, the audience was still there. Apparently, our orchestral manager had got through on the phone during one of our frequent stops on the journey, telling them that the orchestra was still on its way. Backstage was even more amazing. Tea, coffee, sandwiches and other refreshments awaited us, and a meal was organised for after the concert, which ended at 11.15pm. There was no hope of returning to Liverpool that night, and overnight accommodation was arranged by our splendid Yorkshire hosts. It was indeed an incredible feat of organisational competence. Apart from dreadful winter with its trials and tribulations, 1947 proved an intensely rewarding musical experience, though I remember one morning having a few very anxious hours. I had been down to the Midlands on a family visit and was travelling back to Liverpool to take part in the first recording of Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. The session was due to begin in the Philharmonic Hall at 11am. The train from Wolverhampton was scheduled to arrive in Liverpool Lime Street at 9.15am and I was to change at Crewe and it was there that my troubles began. The train was hopelessly late arriving so that I missed my connection to Liverpool. It took some time to negotiate a taxi, the only possible means of getting there in time for the recording. I had visions of the orchestra assembled and unable to begin the session, which would be an embarrassment beyond words. As it was, I barely made it. By the time I reached the Philharmonic Hall, the orchestra had assembled, with Malcolm Sargent already on his rostrum as I crept to my seat with an empty wallet emptied by the taxi fare. It was quickly forgotten as we rehearsed and then began to record the work, which revealed such brilliant orchestral writing with the unique sounds in the bassoon variation played by virtuoso Gwydion Brook. There was one other incident I recall, quite startling it was too. It happened at another children's concert, 
This time, the conductor was Dr Reginald Jacks, one of our regular guest conductors, who had the rare gift of making the proceedings interesting for orchestra and children alike. The concert progressed smoothly, and as often happens at such concerts, the conductor asked questions of the audience, answers to which are sometimes innocent, unexpected and hilarious. The strings of the orchestra were about to play the Bach air on a G-string. Dr Jacks turned to the children and announced the piece, and then came the question, Can anyone tell me what an air is? Hands went up in several places in the hall. He pointed to one little boy in the front row. It's a big rabbit, sir, came the reply in delightful Liverpudlian. Apart from our routine concerts in surrounding Lancashire towns such as Bolton, Wigan, Warrington, Blackpool and Blackburn, we frequently visited Leeds, Sheffield and Bradford. Extensive tours as far as the south coast towns were also undertaken, as well as the major towns of Wales. It was indeed a strenuous life. Nevertheless, the amicability and general team spirit in the orchestra at that time was remarkable. Programmes on tour, understandably, had to be repeated several times and this could be tedious. Playing New World Symphony on four or five consecutive nights did perhaps dampen one's enthusiasm by the week's end. But this was offset by the consistently enterprising programmes in Liverpool. Our visits overseas to Isle of Man, Belfast and Dublin had moments spiced with humour Though in the case of the trip to the Isle of Tailless Cats and TT races, it was ironic humour. Notorious for its reputation of unpredictable weather conditions and subsequent rough crossings, I feared the worst when we began our voyage on a windy, dull and rainy day in December. I had already confessed to John Johnson that I was a hopeless sailor. And John, one of the kindest men I ever knew, tried to put my fears at rest by saying he had booked a cabin for us both. He assured me that if I lay flat, I would have no trouble. It did not work. The crossing was so rough we were both sick. In fact, the whole orchestra seemed to have suffered the same fate. Rather unwisely, I thought, lunch had been arranged on the boat. Few appeared in the dining room, however, and when we sat down to rehearse in the Villa Marina Concert Hall later in the afternoon, very few of us could appreciate calm sea and prosperous voyage, Mehr Stille und Glücklicher Fahrt by Mendelssohn. After a mercifully short rehearsal and a long rest before the concert, we all looked and sounded a little more shipshape during the performance. We had no comparable difficulties on our trip to Ireland. The first leg of the journey to Belfast was smooth, comfortable and uneventful. We were to perform at a children's concert and two public concerts in the King's Hall, a large multi-purpose venue the acoustics of which lacked clarity, particularly at rehearsal when the auditorium was empty. As is often the case, it was much better with a full house, and we certainly had that. Malcolm Sargent, as always, was popular, and we had capacity audiences at both concerts, the second of which brings to mind a story concerning our horn section. Hilarious now, though at that time Sargent did not think so. 
At the end of that rehearsal, he had spoken to the orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen, if there is an encore tonight, knowing full well that there would be, we shall play the prelude to the third act of Lohengrin and you will find a copy already on your stands. What he did not know was that the horn section was not listening. We were busy talking amongst ourselves, discussing in fact a plan to travel to Dublin on the late train after the concert, so that instead of travelling with the orchestra the next morning, we could have the morning free in Dublin. Eddie Chapman, as ever, had arranged it all, and his plan was as follows. The horn section was seated at the rear of the orchestra near a platform exit. The stage was non-tiered so that we were obscured from the audience's view. We could therefore have our horn cases at the side of our chairs ready for a quick exit at the end of the concert. A taxi would be waiting at the stage door to convey us to the station. It was a very tight schedule and time was of the essence. There always seemed to be an element of risk in Eddie's schemes, but we saw no problem here. The Sibelius Symphony ended with tremendous applause from an enthusiastic capacity audience. Sergeant was called to the rostrum four times. Our instruments in the meantime were safely packed in our cases. We were ready for the off after his final recall. Returning to the rostrum for the sixth time, horror of horrors, he turned to the orchestra with a characteristic flourish and began the Wagner encore. Important horn entries were completely missing. Sheer disbelief emanated from the eyes of the conductor on the podium as we struggled to retrieve our instruments and put the music in position to play. The orchestra was almost halfway through the piece before we got back on the rails with the dominating brass entries. We made the night train to Dublin with seconds to spare and expected recriminations before the rehearsal at the Theatre Royal the next day. To our great surprise, however, not a word was mentioned. But at the end of our first rehearsal, after our return to Liverpool, he announced, it would be appreciated if the gentlemen in the horn section would refrain from bringing instrument cases onto the platform at future concerts. End of chapter 12. I am going to end this podcast episode with the last movement from Andrew Downs' Concerto for Four Horns and Symphony Orchestra. This is a work in which the four horns certainly cannot hide. It was written for the hornists of the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra to perform with the Czech Philharmonic Orchestra in the Rudolfinum Hall in Prague. My granddad Frank Downs was present at the premiere in 2002. This recording is of the same soloists Radek Babarak, Stanislav Suchanek, Andrei Vrabets and Zdenek Divaki with the Czech Radio Symphony Orchestra under Jan Kusera and this was broadcast on Czech Radio in March 2003.
Thank you.